Thank you, Dallas. You may, you may have noticed uh, how well he kind of kept time, kept pace with that. Dallas had a pacemaker just this past week, and he re- he's recovering well. So, a metronome. There you go. So he has a built-in metronome now. So thank you, brother. We're grateful that that uh, procedure went well for you. It's my privilege this morning to introduce our mission speaker. Uh, many of you have already heard him on Wednesday night and or Friday night. And uh, T- Terry Hass, our mission speaker, is the uh, uh, director of pastoral ministries for Operation Mobilization, a role that he's served in for 15 years. Uh, formerly a pastor, so, uh, many of us learned some of his history on Wednesday night when we had our Meet the Speaker meeting. And uh, we, have a, we have a rich history and connection with Operation Mobilization. Uh, here's George Verwer with some very young-looking guys there. <laughs> and uh, that had to be in the early 90s. And there, that's Bill Sanders, uh, for those of you who didn't know Bill. He was the very first pastor of TCF. And so, uh, uh, yeah, Gordon's, Gordon's hair is still dark in that. Imagine that. Look at that. Look at that. And uh, so George spoke at TCF, and uh, this is a picture of when he spoke at TCF. And uh, he, he's wearing a jacket very similar to what Terry is wearing this morning. It's a map jacket, and uh, he tossed that uh, beach ball around, that globe beach ball, and he actually broke the light fixture when he did that. He broke the light fixture, and so the elders have discussed this and decided that uh, we never really got paid for that. So Terry, we're taking it out of your honorarium. <laughs> <laughs> that we end- <laughs> just kidding but george george is uh was a very dynamic speaker and he still keeps in touch with us here at tcf and uh when we were praying about who to get for this year uh george gave us some suggestions and terry was one of those suggestions and we are just absolutely delighted especially as we've had an opportunity to spend time with him over these last few days and hear him speak and hear his heart for uh, world missions and for this church. We're so grateful that Terry's with us. We always also had Dale Rotan with us, and that was in 2012. And Dale was the co-founder with um, George of Operation Mobilization. So, so again, we're, we're, uh, we, we love this, this connection that we now have with OM. And, of course, uh, Heather actually serves with OM Arts, uh, Division of Operation Mobilization. And so... Um, we just have a lot to be thankful for. So, Terry, would you come and let's give Terry a welcome. Let me, let me pray for you, brother. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for our brother. We're grateful for his heart for your kingdom, to see your kingdom advanced. We're grateful for his heart for the lost, Lord. And we're Grateful that on Friday night he challenged us, and we trust that we will be challenged again this morning as he brings your word, as he is your instrument this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bill. Notice I I have a jacket, but I don't have a globe. I was warned, do not bring the big globe with you. Globes not allowed. So now I understand the history uh, of that. yeah, now if, if you know anything about George Verwer, he is a book guy. He's a literature guy. Uh, it's because God used a gospel tract to bring him to Christ. That was part of his journey. So George says, let's get all the literature out there to help people know Jesus and follow Jesus. So uh, when I let George know, George, I'm going to um, Tulsa Christian Fellowship and uh, he sent me an email and uh, said, Terry, uh, do you need any books? And I said, George, send all the books that you want to. So he sent some books, some freebies uh, for you. So there are some still back there on the table. One of them uh, is one of his earlier books, Out of the Comfort Zone, which really goes along with the message um, from Friday night. Another one, Messiology. This is his latest book, and as I said Friday, uh, one of George's uh, Verwer-isms is where two or three are gathered together, there's always going to be a mess. So we need to learn how to get along with each other because we're all a mess and we all create messes. So he wrote this book, Messiology, which really just emphasizes how 
God, just like God has poured out so much grace on us, that same grace is to be poured out to each other as we uh, live with each other's messes. And then another one back there is George For Real. And what this is, this is a, a, a 55-minute biography on the life of George. Uh, this is one of the most interesting people in the world. I, there used to be a commercial, the world's most interesting man, and he looked suave and debonair. And Well, George is not suave and debonair at all, but he is one of the world's most interesting people. So uh, avail yourself of those uh, resources that are back there. Now, uh, your children and young people at TCF have a great advantage that I did not have growing up. Um, I, I didn't come to faith in Christ till I was 18 years old. And I didn't meet my first real live missionary till I was about 25 years old. I was married. I'd had my first child. Well, my wife had our first child. I was, I was there. <laughs> she did all the work, right? All right, so uh, anyway, that was when I met my first real life mission, and it changed my life because God used that relationship to begin to get me interested because he got me interested in that missionary, and I began to pray for that missionary and began to pray for that missionary's work. Then it's like, well, I'm going to find out about these other missionaries that our church supports, so I'd start getting to know them and read about them, and start praying for them. So uh, ever since meeting that first missionary, I've had a high regard for missionaries. I admire and appreciate their willingness to leave family and friends and the familiar to go to a, a different culture, to learn a different language, and to eat different kinds of foods so that People can hear the good news about our wonderful Savior, Jesus. Now, in my early admiration for those who go, I thought that there was a two-tier system when it came to uh, global missions. I thought that there was the, the missionary goers who were the spiritual warriors, and then there was those that stayed behind that were the spiritual weenies. You know, those that went, those that, that went out, uh, they were uh, God's first class workers. And those that stayed behind and, yes, prayed for missions and gave to missions, but uh, folks like me who was in that category, then I'm, I'm not part of the first class. I'm, I'm part of uh, the second class citizenry in God's kingdom. But through the years as I've studied the scriptures, God has transformed my thinking to see that there is no two-tier system in missions. God doesn't consider goers more spiritual than those who stay. As a matter of fact, I've come to realize that those who stay and sin are highly valued members of God's mission team. Now, God is so keen in his people understanding this, that he gave an entire New Testament epistle written to a missionary sender to communicate to him that his work of sending was highly valued and esteemed by God and the leaders of the church. This epistle that esteems missionary senders is the third letter of John. I like to call 3 John a manual for mobilizing missionary senders. And as I look at 1 John, I've been studying 1 John, uh, 3 John, 3 John, 3 John. Have I, have I been saying 1 John? Okay, all right. I got mixed up, not y'all. I don't want to mix y'all up. It's 3 John. But uh, 3 John is filled with lessons on how to encourage and equip senders of excellence. Now, what I'd like to do is read 3 John. I'm just going to, I mean, well, the, the, uh, uh, as I was playing this, I said, Lord, is there a way to get through the whole epistle? And it just ain't going to happen. 
So uh, what I want to do is cover primarily the first eight verses of Third John. We'll, we'll bounce ahead to a couple of verses, but our focus is going to be Third uh, John verses one through eight. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth. That is, how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. Beloved, you're acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers. And they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. And just to let you know, because I'm going to refer here to the different major characters. Let me read verse 9. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. And then verse 12. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. So there's four main characters in Third John. There's John... The apostle and veteran missions mobilizer, he calls himself here the elder. There's Gaius, the beloved missionary sender to whom the letter is addressed. There's Diotrephes, the evil missions destroyer. He's trying to kill missions in the church. Hard to believe, isn't it? But he's one of the main characters. And then there's Demetrius and other brothers like him who are qualified missionaries. So if I could summarize the message of 3 John, it's this. John encourages Gaius to continue his strategic work of sending out qualified missionaries like Demetrius despite Diotrephes' evil efforts in the church to oppose missions. Now what I want to do this morning is take a look at the, the, primarily the first eight verses of 3 John where we see that John esteems Gaius as a missionary sender and equips him to send missionaries with excellence. So what I want to do is from the text is draw, draw five lessons from Third John on mobilizing senders. So here's lesson number one. Emphasize that truth is necessary for being a successful missionary sender. Emphasize that truth is necessary for being a successful missionary sender. Now notice how John communicates to, to Gaius that the truth is a big deal. He actually mentions the word truth six times in his letter. Go back to verse 1. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Verse 3. I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth. That is how you are walking in truth. Keep reading. I have no greater joy than this to hear my children walking in the truth. Verse 8, therefore we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. Verse 12, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. Truth, 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 truth. John is emphasizing here the necessity of being grounded in the truth if Gaius is going to be a successful missionary sender. Now, if you read through John's writings, we see that he writes a lot about the truth in the Gospel of John and in all three of his letters. He communicates clearly that Jesus is the truth, the Spirit is the truth, the word of God is the truth. So when John emphasizes truth to Gaius, on one hand he's affirming that Gaius is orthodox in his doctrine. That Gaius believes the foundational truths of the faith. Gaius hasn't been swayed from the truth. And that's one thing that 
John emphasizes in his second epistle, be on the lookout for false teachers and those who are going to try to sway you from the truth. Well, John is affirming to Gaius, Gaius, you haven't been swayed. You're, you are a person of the truth, in the truth. I appreciate John Stott's observation in his commentary about John's emphasis on truth. He says, to John, truth mattered. He did not regard theological issues as unimportant trivialities. You know, too much in the church today. I, I'm, say, don't, don't give me doctrine, just give me Jesus. And it's like doctrine is a dirty word. It's the D word, you know. But you've got to ask, all right, well, which Jesus there's a lot of Jesuses being preached and promoted out there. The Jesus of the Bible, there are certain things that the Scriptures reveal about who Jesus is so that we can believe the real Jesus. He is the Son of God. He is one of the members of the Trinity. He became one of us by taking upon Himself flesh. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He died on the cross as the payment for our sins. Three days later, He was raised from the dead. He ascended to heaven where He's praying for His own. And one day, He's coming back. That's the true Jesus. That's the real Jesus. And Gaius is saying, I mean, John is saying, Gaius, you are a person, you, you are in the truth, you are of the truth. Truth matters to you, and that's a good thing. But John is not just talking about believing the truth. What really makes him glad is that Gaius is walking in the truth. Did you get that? Verses 3 and 4. Oh, I love it. I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth. Here's what I mean by that. How you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear my children who are walking in the truth. See, John is commending Gaius not just because he had the right theology, but because he had the right liveology. The things that he believed were of infecting his life. So the Jesus he knew, the Jesus he believed in, the Jesus he professed, he was following Jesus and he was being transformed into the likeness of the one that he was following. He wasn't just talking about believing in Jesus. He was walking out what it means to believe in Jesus. So beloved, to be an effective sender, to be a successful sender, to be a prosperous sender, to be a sender of excellence... It means that you're a person of truth. What this Bible says matters to you. And learning how to trust it and obey it matters to you because it matters to God. A second lesson that we see here is that mobilizers and missionaries should pray for missionary senders. Now go back to verse 2. Here's what John, you know, I mean it was common to greet people. But greetings in the Bible aren't just, just there. They're there for a reason. They're inspired by the Holy Spirit. So John said, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. Now usually in a missions context and even at missions uh, conferences, we think of mobilizing prayer. Uh, and usually think about it in terms of mobilizing prayer for, for missionaries, which is good. And mobilizing prayer for the lost, which is good. And praying for workers to be sent out into the harvest, which is good. But I think what John does here, he broadens our scope of mobilizing prayer so we aren't just talking about mobilizing prayer for the goers, but also by mobilizing prayer for senders. Senders need praying for too. 
And John is reminding us that leaders and missionaries should pray for those who are involved in sending. When John prays for Gaius, he has in mind Gaius' spiritual and physical well-being. Look again, verse 2. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. So he's most excited about the fact that Gaius is prospering in his soul. He has a healthy soul. How does he know that? Because Gaius is walking in the truth. And the overflow of that is he's sending people out to declare the truth. Where Gaius is not able to go. But then he also has his his physical well-being in mind. I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health. Just as your soul prospers. So it makes sense to pray for senders. We pray for the spiritual well-being of senders because sending well is the overflow of a spiritually healthy soul. And we pray for the physical well-being of senders so they can have the physical capacity to sin. It's not unspiritual or carnal for church leaders and missionaries and mission agencies to pray that God will prosper senders in their business. And Lord, bless them, Lord, prosper them, Lord, so they can give more. I mean, God wants to release missionaries to the nations, and it takes money to do it. So Lord, bless their businesses, bless their work, prosper them. Not so they can keep it for themselves, but it's so they can get more workers to the ends of the earth and partner with God in His mission. Over the last four weeks at our U.S. office in Tyrone, Georgia. That's the south side of Atlanta, but it's a little community called Tyrone, Georgia. We don't even have a traffic light. So over the last four weeks at the U.S. office in Tyrone, Georgia, we've been praying for those who support OM's work. At at the end of the year, our president sent out to everybody that supports OM in some way or another, sent out a letter, said, if we can pray for you, tell us how, and we're going to pray for you. And that just ain't lip service. So we got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that wrote back and said, pray for Pray for me. Pray for my family. He sent all kinds of prayer requests. In the last four weeks, we've been taking time to work our way through every person that sent prayer requests to us. And we're praying for them, and then we're responding to them by writing a note or sending an email. We want them to know how valuable they are to us and to God's work. And senders need praying for just like goers need praying for. So this idea of valuing the sinners, this brings me to my next point. Let missionary senders know they are highly valued co-workers in spreading the truth. Now I want us to look out at how John lets Gaius know how valuable he is in the mission. I'm going to do that after I get a swallow of water. No, no. Oh, I forgot I'm not in Georgia. I can't do that. See, in Georgia, you, you know, got spittoons down there by the pulpits. <laughs> so watch how John communicates to Gaius how valuable he is in the mission. He communicates his love for Gaius. Listen to how many times. In, in verse 1, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Verse 2, beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper. Verse 5, beloved, you're acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brothers. Verse 11, beloved, do not imitate what is evil. I mean, John just wants Gaius to know, brother, I love you. I love you. You are precious to me because of our relationship with Christ and because we're together in God's mission. I love you. You have great value to me. And and his calling, Gaius beloved, is really an echo 
of God saying to Gaius, Gaius, I love you. You are my beloved. It's the same word that the Father spoke to Jesus when He said, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God looks at sinners and says, You are my beloved Son. You are my beloved daughter. I love you. You are precious to me. Because you're a part of what I'm doing to fill the earth with my glory. He lets Gaius know that he's a cause for rejoicing again in verse 3. I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth. Verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear this. Gaius, you bring me such joy. You bring me such pleasure. Uh, how many of you go to Chick-fil-A? Y'all, y'all have chick Okay, you do have Chick-fil-A's up here. Okay. You know, you go to Chick-fil-A, and they take your order, and if, if you say, well, they do something for you, say thank you. What do they say? You know what? When they communicate that to people, they're not just saying you're welcome. It's my, it's my pleasure. You bring me pleasure by allowing me to serve you because you have value as a person. And that's what John is doing here for Gaius. Gaius, you bring me such great joy. And that's communicating to Gaius what a valuable member of the team that Gaius is. He expresses appreciation for Gaius's faithfulness in the work of sending. Verse 5, Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren. So there was all kinds of things that Gaius was doing, but John doesn't diminish anything that Gaius is doing. Your faith, because you are making, the, the word here is accomplished, it's really a, the word ergodsomai. It's, it's a word that means to work or to labor. Gaius was laboring. He was working. He was putting forth effort. He was being intentional in being a sender. And John is saying, Gaius, thank you for your faithfulness. Let me say on behalf of every missionary that's here today and every missionary that you support, you probably already hear it from me, but just let me say it again. Thank you, TCF, for your faithfulness in supporting your workers for these however many years it's been. God recognizes your valuable part in sending those workers out. You are a valuable member of the team. He informs Gaius that other missionaries testify about him in the church. Look at verse 3. I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth. And then look again in verse uh, 6. And they have testified to your love before the church. Now, do you get the picture here? These missionaries have been blessed by Gaius and as they go to other churches and maybe they're in a missions conference, they said, let me tell you about Gaius. They're bragging on Gaius. And in bragging on him and testifying about Gaius' faithfulness and his love, then they are saying, you know, this guy Gaius is a valuable member of the team. They are showing the value that Gaius has and the value that workers has. And then the last thing I want to draw attention to in communicating value, John treats Gaius as a full partner in the work. No two-tier system. Look in verse 8. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. You get that? Because of Gaius's work in sending missionaries well, John said, Gaius, when we do that, we are fellow workers. We are teammates. We're a band of brothers and sisters 
who are being used by God to accomplish His goal. You've probably seen interviews, if you watch sports, after a football game, they usually interview a player, usually from the winning team, and it's usually the quarterback or running back. You know, they get all the glory, right? But a wise player, when he's being interviewed, and the interviewer is talking about what a great game they had, and what does a wise quarterback or running back do? Now, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm, this isn't rhetorical. Somebody tell me, what, are, what, are, what, are the, what, what do they do? They thank the rest of the team. Exactly. I couldn't have done it. I couldn't have thrown my passes today without the blocking of the offensive line. I couldn't have rushed for that many yards today without the blocking of the offensive line. They recognize without their teammates doing their job, then they couldn't have gained the yardage. Now, are they doing that to flatter their teammates? No, they're just, that's the reality of it. If those people weren't doing what they were doing, the quarterbacks or running backs couldn't do what they do. So many times on God's missions team, the goer is esteemed and recognized for their service to, to the Lord. And that is right. But wise goers will esteem their teammates the senders because they recognize that without those who sinned, they couldn't go and proclaim the good news to those who haven't heard. All right, the fourth lesson. God approves of appealing to senders for financial support. Look at, let's go back to verses 6 through 8. They have testified to your love before the church. And then, then that, listen to what he says. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. Now here in, in uh, I'm preaching from the New American Standard. Uh, it says uh, in, in the middle of verse 6, You will do well to send them on their way. This phrase, you will do well, is actually a, it's a Greek idiom and it is a way of making a polite appeal. It's a way of saying, will you please do such and such, okay? So John is making an appeal here to Gaius. And what is that appeal? You will do well, or as we've seen, please, Gaius, send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. The word send them on their way is the Greek word propempo. Commentator C.H. Dodd says propempo is something like a technical term of early Christian missions implying the assumption of financial responsibility for the journey of departing missionaries. Now certainly financial support is what John has in mind here because of why he goes on to support why Gaius should send them on their way. He says, For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. See, in that day, you had, you had these, uh, you had hucksters, you had uh, those that would um, fleece the sheep, and they were in it for the money. And so they would go and preach and teach and and give oratory and spout their philosophy. And they were doing it expecting to take up donations from the crowd. Um, and that's how they were making their living. So for people to go out and speak to those that didn't have anything in common with them. It was, it was a common thing for them to try and get their support from, from these people. So what John is saying here, Gaius... You need to send these workers on their way 
For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. In other words, these, these workers are going out, and they're not going to unbelievers and trying to get an a, a, a offering from the unbelievers because they come there and preach or because they come there to plant a church. They're going to accepting nothing from the Gentiles. He's talking here about unbelievers. Well, it takes money to do missions. So John is saying, Gaius, that's why you need to send them on their way. That's why you need to take financial responsibility. You need to invest in these workers. Because as they go out, they're not going out as hucksters. They're not going out as con men. They're not going to take anything from those that they're trying to bring the gospel to. They want to bring the gospel free of charge. And then he clarifies again. Verse 8, therefore we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. You know, when it comes to support raising, many mission agencies and missionaries were greatly influenced by the 19th century Christian leaders George Mueller and Hudson Taylor. Great men of God, great men of faith. Pioneered. Hudson Taylor pioneering work in, into the uh, interior of China. George Mueller had an orphanage and supported thousands and thousands of orphans and supported thousands and thousands of missionaries. And their policy was that they would not ask people for funds. They would pray, say, Lord, you know our needs. We ask you to provide our needs. And God was faithful to supply for the needs of their works. Now, they would, they would have the policy, if somebody asked you, then you can let them know the needs. But direct appeals for funds were not allowed. And because of the policy of men like Mueller and Taylor, many agencies and missionaries were taught that asking for support showed, showed a failure to trust God. Mueller and Taylor did it that way. So that is the Bible way. But as I studied Scripture, I learned that John here and Paul in Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and Titus made appeals for financial support. That's why... Y'all don't go by past you. It's Elder. Elder Bill. Elder Bill. He has nothing to be ashamed of to stand up this morning and say, give to support our missionaries. It's right for him to do that. It's approved by God for him to do that. John appealed for missionary support. Paul appealed for missionary support. As a matter of fact, let me, I'll just give an aside here. The book of I've, I've come to believe the book of Romans is Paul presenting his case for why the church at Rome should financially support him to go preach the gospel in Spain. Everything he says up to Romans 15, verse 28, where he says, send me on my way to Spain. It's Paul building his case. Here's why it's necessary and right and good for you to support me. So the whole, the whole thing of missionaries asking for support, there's nothing unbiblical about it. There's nothing unscriptural about it. It's not a lack of faith. The apostles did it as a way to raise support. And we can conclude that it's appropriate for mobilizers and missionaries and leaders to ask senders to financially support their work. And then the last lesson. Woo, we're doing pretty good. All right. The last lesson. Keep God central in all missionary sending and going. Make sure it's all about him, whether you're a sender or a goer. First of all, keep God central in all missionary sending. How do you do that? Verse 6, send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. Send them in a way that is fitting for how worthy he is. For how valuable He is. And the Bible leaves no doubt about how worthy He is. Revelation chapter 5. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. 
to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy is the Lamb who sits on the throne. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. And since the Lamb is worthy to receive power, senders need to send out workers with prayers for the Spirit to empower them for service. Since the Lamb is worthy to receive riches, senders need to support workers out of their riches. Since the Lamb is worthy to receive wisdom, senders, send out your workers with wise counsel. Since the Lamb is worthy to receive strength. Senders, welcome your missionaries with the aim of refreshing and strengthening them so they can be ready to go back to war. Since the Lamb is worthy to receive honor and glory and blessing, look for ways to honor your workers, to esteem your workers, to bless your workers when they're with you and when they are away from you. I'm not saying it like it ain't happening. I mean, I've been in a lot of churches over the last 15 years. And I'll say, I'm not saying this to flatter. This is one of the greatest mission churches in America. This is one of the greatest mission churches in America. Because greatness is not determined by how big you are. It is determined by how are you partnering with God to make Him famous among the nations. J.D. Greer says the health and greatness of a church is not determined by its seating capacity but by its sending capacity. And it is amazing I mean, I am amazed at how God has had his hand on this fellowship. And not just in the workers that are being sent out. But one reason I believe God is sending so many workers out is because God knows that when you send them out, you're going to take good care of them. And that's why I say this is one of the greatest mission churches in America. Because of the people that are being sent out from this fellowship and because of the way you send them with excellence when they go. And one of the things I'm excited about is that the words of the song, greater things are yet to come. Greater things are still to be done in this city called Tulsa Christian Fellowship. You're not just sitting back. You're not building a monument to the past. Oh, look at what's happened in the past. But you're saying, Lord, continue to build a movement of people that will continue to go. There's so many. Lord, there's so many that still have not heard. I praise God for the way that you're involved in all the stands. Pakistan, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan. Where so few have heard. Now, praise God, you're involved in other countries where the gospel is penetrated because those churches need building up so that they can become sending nations. So the church, is, from what I've been around, I may only been around you for a few days, but I'm, I'm, what I'm sensing is, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, we don't want to build monuments. Keep building movements. Keep sending out more and help to keep taking good care of. So I'm not, I'm not here this morning to say, you know, here's all that you need to be doing because you ain't got it together. Man, y'all got it together. But in the words of Paul, just excel still more. Excel still more. Keep God central to all your sending, but also keep God central in all missionary going by going for the sake of the name. Look again in verse 7. This is my last point. For they went out for the sake of the name. So John reminds Gaius. Gaius sent them out in a manner worthy of God. And then he says, Gaius, but here's the kind of missionaries you support. So there's certain qualifications 
he didn't, I mean, and don't have time to get to it here. But Gaius, there's certain, you, you need to send out qualified missionaries. Here's the main qualification. Determine why are they going? What's their motive? See, some people go for bad motives. They go for money or they go to make a name for themselves. Some people go for good motives to relieve human suffering. They go because people are lost. They go because God commands. All of those are good reasons. But the highest reason, the ultimate motivation is this, is to go for the sake of the name. What name is that? It's the name above every name. God has given him, Jesus, the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth. And every tongue shall one day confess Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's that name that the apostles preached in Acts chapter 4 when they said there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only way. There's no other way. That's why people need to go for the sake of the name to declare the name, the one true Jesus who died and rose again. Lord, I want to go for your name. I want to go to make your name famous. Isaiah 26, 8. Your name and your renown is the desire of my soul. That's what ought to be our motive Every day, whether it's going to the nations or whether it's getting up to go to work or to go to school. That should be the thing that's driving us. Lord, I am here. Let me be on me. Let my antenna be up, Lord. I'm not just going to the grocery store. I'm here on mission for you. Beep, 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 beep. All right, Lord. Anybody? Anybody you want me to speak to? You might just, somebody's got a frown, just a smile. Man, on the airplane coming up here, I was looking at the flight attendant. They looked like they hated being there. So I just tried to smile. They burned by, help me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We are people on mission for the sake of the name. So let me ask you, have you believed in the name? Have you believed in the name? The only way to be right with God is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who died for our sins and was raised from the dead. It's not by joining a church. It's not by being baptized. It's not by trying to to do more good than bad because all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God so loved the world, he gave his only son as a sacrifice for our sin raised him from the dead that whoever believes in him will be forgiven and can call God Father and then will be a part of the family of God to go on mission with him. Senders, there's no shame in not going. You're a highly valued member of God's mission team. Continue to send out workers in a manner worthy of God. The only shame in not going is if God is saying go and you're saying no. (laughs) Goers are still needed. As we learn Friday evening and as you hear from this church so consistently, the harvest is great, the workers are few. God has already been answering the prayers of this church to cast out more workers in the harvest. And if God is speaking to you about going, will you say, Lord, hear my sin me? Go to your elders. Let them know God is speaking to you about that. And they will shepherd you in the next steps of that journey. Let's bow for a word of prayer.
Lord, you, you model for us the very things we've been talking about this morning. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. There ain't nothing second rate about being a sender. We're in good company when we're a sinner because we are being like the Father. So Lord, I just thank you for the senders here in this room. And I ask in the name of Jesus that you'll continue to fill them and affirm them and equip them and encourage them to send their workers well. And Jesus, I thank you that you were the ultimate goer. Thank you, Jesus. You said yes to the Father. And you came into this world. You left the familiar. You left a friendly atmosphere. You came into a world where they hated you. Where we hated you, Lord. I was there. I was there. Nailing the nails into your hand. Lord, I hear my mocking voice in the crowd. Oh, Jesus. Thank you for coming for a sinner like me. Thank you for coming for a crowd of sinners like us. Thank you for coming into the world to die for our sins. Thank you, Jesus. We bless you. We thank you that you're alive. And you said all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go. So, Lord, help us to go. Help us to partner with you. Help us to be on the go. Lord, for those that you're calling to go to be cross-cultural missionaries, may they say yes. Lord, for those that you're saying stay where you're at but send well, Lord, may, may the sinners say yes. Yes to going, yes to sending. All for the sake of the name. I pray in that name. Amen and amen.